the first things that Jesus does in his public ministry. So we're thinking about and reflecting about who we are to be, who God's calling us to be. We're looking at his life through the Gospel of Mark primarily and seeing what are the first things that he said. What are the first things that he did? And how can we glory in him through that? But also how can we reflect his life? How is it his life is to be our life? First things. Just like when we went through the gospel story of Christmas. You miss those first moments. They really set the course for the entire gospel. We don't want to miss the first things. It was 2013 and another church had set another committee meeting on the night of the National Football Championship for college. I love y'all, but come on. And so I was maybe five, eight minutes late to watch the Alabama-Notre Dame game. You remember that game? If you're five or eight minutes late, you missed the whole game. In two possessions, it was over. Everybody knew this game was over. You missed the beginning. It really sets the course for the rest. And that's what's happening in Mark's gospel. We get a picture of Jesus' purposes in his coming. We get a picture of the cross. And we also get a picture of his character and his heart. And so that's, that's where we are today. I want us to look back. Before we look at his message, last week we looked at his baptism. Before we look at his message, uh, let's look at the messenger. What do we see about Christ. So if you're following along in your notes, uh, what does Mark say to us? First, he highlights in John the Baptist's testimony from last week that Jesus is mighty or mightier. And this is something, again, we looked at last week, but we didn't have time because of communion to truly get to this. Let's remember who John is. John is someone prophesied spoken of by angels. John is someone who has the Holy Spirit in them, on them, in his mother's belly. This is one that Jesus will testify, there's not been anybody better than John on the face of the earth before I came. This is John. And what does John say? I'm nothing. I can't even untie. This little task, this dirty task, something a Jewish slave cannot be forced to do, this unclean thing, even I couldn't do that for him. You say, preacher, I got that. We've got that. Jesus is mightier than we are. But as I continue to struggle with that passage, and again, as a preacher, it's my job. When I feel guilt, I pass that on to you. As I struggle with that from last week, would I have worried as much as I've worried about some things this week if I was all in when it comes to Jesus being mightier? Would I have been tempted by the things of the world this week, like I've been tempted by some things of the world, if I had, as John the Baptist clearly saw, he is above all? I like what Dr. Bill Urey said in his podcast two weeks ago about humility. Would I have wallowed in self-pity some this week? If I had clearly seen that Jesus is mightier than any other voice in my life, including my own. What Mark is reminding us right out of the shoot through the words of John the Baptist is Jesus is above all. And going back 
to the very first verse in Scripture, also to Jesus, uh, the testimony there, he is the Christ. It's the first thing. Jesus is mighty. Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the King of all kings. And then also going back to Mark 1, 1, this revelation, and we're going to come back to this, Mark 1 and then Mark 11, he is the Son of God. It's something we see at the bookends of all of Jesus' life. This is Jesus, this is the gospel of the, the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, and the Son of God, and then you get to the end of Jesus' life, and what's the testimony? What is it that a pagan, violent centurion can say when he watches the way how Jesus die, dies? What does he say? Truly, this was the Son of God. Not just king, but the very Son of God. And you see the same testimony in verse 11 from the Father. This is my son. And I really just want to take a break from your notes and, and look at two side roads from that statement. Go back to verse 11 again while we have some time to really unpack that a little bit more. Because the way the Father speaks to his son here is a reminder to us of what we need to hear from the Father if we'll listen, he'll speak these things into our life, but also to remind us of the care we are to have when we speak to others, the opportunity we have to speak carefully to others. What does he say to his son here? I'm pleased with you. Now, he does use the word beloved. We're going to come back to that. But why would he say please? I think there's something, and this is a generalization, but, but there is something where, sadly, I can get wrapped up in validation, finding validation by what I do. I can be wired like that. And I think the Father knows that. And so he speaks into Jesus' life, and he says what he's going to say to us at the end of time, again, speaking the very words and language that so many of us want to hear yes i'm love but what else do i want to hear you did well well done my good and faithful servant so many of us receive love especially men by respect would you notice and note what i have done and here the heavenly father knew exactly what his son needed to hear yes he needed a word of encouragement we said last week before he went out into the wilderness to face down the devil but also this wonderful word I'm pleased with you. And if we'll listen well, he'll speak what, exactly what we need to hear in exactly the way we need to hear it. The question comes for me and for you, how am I doing that, though, in terms of learning my spouse, learning my kiddos, learning my coworkers, so that I can speak in ways in which they'll hear my affirmation, being able to speak exactly how and what they need to hear look i'm a yankee right born in the south but immediately got moved up north i'm a yankee i married a brazilian communication is tough and sarah's sitting right here and she'll say i'm a missionary kid i married a football coach's son communication is tough i don't know how to grunt like a coach right you know it's hard work to speak well to those who we love, to say what we need to say to them. But I love how the Father does that here. And I also love this great reminder, too, um, because, again, we can try to seek our validation through accomplishment, 
what had Jesus done up to this point, really? I mean, he's submitting to baptism, yes. But he hasn't done any grand miracle, hasn't spoken a great sermon, really nothing. This is the beginning of public ministry, and yet the Father says right into his life, just like he did in Abraham's life, before Abraham had done anything, he called him. It's a great picture of grace and of the Father. But don't think, I've got to work up this penance before the before God will notice me or love me. And yet we have this picture here of a God who just loves. It's a picture in Jesus' life, but I think it's a great picture for us. One commentary said this week, and I know this is long, but I, I held on to these words. There is a rich mine of comfort in these words from the Father for all Christ's believing members. In themselves and in their own doing, they see nothing to please God. They are daily sensible of weakness and shortcomings and imperfection in all their ways. And that's, that's true. We're sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. But let them recollect that the Father regards them as members of his beloved Son, Jesus Christ. He beholds them as in Christ, clothed in his righteousness and invested with his merit. They are accepted in the Beloved. And when the holy eye of God looks at them, he is well pleased. Do you believe that? Or have you been scrambling this week to try to get affirmation from this world because you're not sensing it from your Father? Are you squeezing people to try to get from them what only the Father can give you? The Father is good to speak a word before Jesus' ministry. He's good with encouragement. The God, God the Father is good to say a specific word in a specific way to be able to communicate his love, but also he's just communicating his love. Will you receive that? Do you own that? Do you believe in that? That's a picture of the messenger, the Father and also of Jesus. But let's look, going back to our notes, what is the very message that we get from Christ in his first in his first sermon and it's not very long and I and I it's not fair that his first sermon's only a few words right it makes it hard for the rest of us it's a couple of sentences it's kind of like Jonah he speaks about five words in Hebrew we have over a hundred thousand Ninevites repent and then preachers take half an hour but anyway just these few sentences by the way, we don't get many sentences from Jesus in Mark's gospel. It's mostly the healings. You don't get a whole lot of sermons. But right out of the gate, the first thing is a sermon. And here's what I want you to get. Yes, there's talk of time finally being fulfilled. And we'll talk more later about kingdom. The kingdom has come because that's the number one topic really for Jesus. What does kingdom look like? What does his kingdom to look like? But then he just... I mean, he just throws a haymaker. The first words really out of his mouth. His first sermon is repent. I mean, he just goes for the throat. You think if you're going to make a good first impression, you're a little bit more careful than that. You're just starting out of the gate, and you say repent. It's what Noah said. It's what the prophet said. It's what John the Baptist says. It's what we need, and so it's what Jesus says. First words, first impression, first thing is the repentance of God's people it's been consistent throughout scripture right what's every country song about i lost something lost my job 
lost a girl, lost my dog, my truck, whatever it might be, right? It's one theme, and a consistent theme throughout all of Scripture from the very beginning to the end is come back, turn from, repent. You don't miss that here with Jesus. I didn't do that. What would that have been like, by the way, my first Sunday here? Because you got John the Baptist, you know, and then you got Jesus. So if I'd have said, hey, I've been talking to Genesee, right? I talked with Jim Genesee, and I, this is the first thing I want to say to y'all. Hey, glad to meet you. Y'all are some messed up people. I mean, y'all really. And I've got names, too. He's, he gave me names. Don't laugh, Ben. You might have, no, I'm sorry. The first instruction is repent. The first impression is turn. As Renee said, if you look in, in 2 Corinthians, there is something to sorrow about that. 1 John 1.9, there's something about confession, but the, the biblical and, 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 and necessary part of receiving forgiveness is this threefold understanding, though, of repentance. Because first, it really means think of it as turning of life it really at first means you've changed your mind that, that there's some kind of mental revolution that happens in your life that I've looked at life this way my way the world's way and now I see things as God sees them I see them in terms of kingdom my son was about three or four years old when he was at a children's sermon and the the person giving the children's sermon was reading from C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. Pretty incredible to read that book in front of kids because basically the gist of it is is a one major demonic uh, entity training another how to sway Christians and to get them to turn from God to them. After the children's sermon was over, uh, all the kids were go going back, but my son hung out. He kind of spoke with Miss Julia, who had given that lesson, and said, you know what? I really like how the demons speak. So, pray for my kid. Uh, this world and its worldview are alluring and tempting. And, and, and a, in the root word for repentance, this is part of the gospel, repent and believe. It's a change of orientation. It's a change of... Uh, of mind about what we are to be and what life is. And then secondly, you all know this part of, of repentance. It means a change of direction, a change of mind and a change of direction. It's a complete 180-degree turn. I had not planned to say this, but the two culprits in this story are somehow here this morning, so I'm going to tattle on them, and then I'll be in trouble later, Hannah and Sarah. But I went to my first mission trip to Brazil and I, I was in charge of that trip and I remember us being very careful because we were in in the slum area this is where the town actually ran out and then there were people who squatted on land this was a drug this area was controlled by a drug lord it was a very scary place and this church had purposely said we're going here to minister to these people and to their children and so we went to go su support a ministry that now our church supports, Shade and Fresh Water Project through the Methodist Church, to say we're going to minister to the street children of Brazil. 
And so we were there, but I was nervous, and we were very careful to always be with our leaders. But one day these kids said, hey, come back with us through this alleyway to get to the beach. We all want to play soccer on the beach. I didn't want to do it because we were told to stay to the main thoroughfares, but I got talked into doing it. We went down this back alley, went and played uh, soccer for a long way, long time, and on our way back, we're going back through this alley, and I was like, I'll be in the front, and Sarah, you take the back. We'll be careful, get this team through this very, what I thought was a very scary area. And then I saw a sign, a beautiful picture of repentance, of somebody who went one way and did a complete 180. Two men were on a motorcycle and they drove up to my wife and they pinned her against the wall to steal her purse. And within three seconds, they were scurrying away with their tails between their legs because you don't mess with Sarah Mail, right? Pray for me on that too. I got a lot. I need prayer. I don't know what she said. Maybe you may need some repentance over what you said. Uh, one way, racing back the other way. Anytime we bump into this word with Jesus, it doesn't just mean I'm heartily sorry, sorry for these. My, it means my life is going to turn. It's not just that. We'll get into that in a minute. But it means my life has a change of direction. Jason Kidd, when he came to the Phoenix Suns, if you've heard that, heard that interview, he went in and told them, Hey, listen, I know this organization is struggling, but I'm here now, and we're going to turn this thing around 360 degrees. <laughs> no, that means you're going the same way. Repentance is a 180. It means I was going this way, and now I'm going that way. Repenting, a change in direction. And here's the hard part. We don't allow people to do that. I know I've said this once before, but it's, it, it bears repeating. Mississippi, we just don't let people outlive who they were at 18 or a mistake they made at 30 or 40. God says repent, and he honors that repentance, but sometimes we can just try to hold people in their mistake and not offer grace and a second chance. Some of us will remember the name of Matt Starr. If you don't remember Matt Starr, what if I said Texas Rangers versus the St. Louis Cardinals and a ball is hit into the, into the fan area and this man named Matt Starr takes the ball from the kid. Do you remember that? He not only takes the ball from the kid, but he kind of pushes the kid. Now, that's where I want to lock that guy in. I want to say, look what he did. That guy should be ever marked. He should, should be kicked out of every ball field ever, right? Lock him in. But you don't know the rest of the story. And I won't get into all of it. The apologies, the notes written to the family, the season tickets given to the family. This real change of direction that happens in Matt's life when he sees a picture of, oh my goodness, that's what I am? And then this complete 180. But somehow we can sometimes look at our own lives and say, well, I've Turn too many times, God's done with me. Or we can even put that on people. What Jesus says out of the shoot is there is a chance for real turning. Don't let the devil, don't let your own insecurities, your own past failures, or let anybody else tell you that you can't turn. 
have a change of mind, have a change of direction, but then also a change of heart. I like what one biblical commentator says about this root word repentance, about our hearts changing. It means that man has come not only to be sorry for the consequences of sin, but to hate sin itself. Not just the avoidance of sin, but I hate, I hate gossip. I'm going to hate greed. I'm going to hate lust. I'm going to hate this. I'm going to hate this, this changing, this turning of my heart over what is right and what is wrong, what is God's, what is not of God. Um, repentance means a change of heart. Garrison Keeler, a lot of you have listened to him or read him. He was sharing about this young man growing up in the Lutheran tradition. And I want to just read a few minutes about uh, this, this. They actually called him Larry the Sad Boy because a period over 10, 12 years, he had repented, had a sign of public repentance 12 times. Anytime at the end of the service he took the opportunity or felt the Spirit on him, he would run down to the altar and publicly repent before everybody. Not once, not twice, but eventually 12 times. And I like what Garrison's take was on that was this. He said, this is a Lutheran church. We're Scandinavians. We repent the same way that we sin, discreetly, tastefully, and at the proper time. Twelve times. Even the fundamentalists in our church got tired of this kid running down to the altar, repenting over and over again. God did not mean for us to feel guilt all our lives. There comes a point when you should dry your tears and join the building committee and start grappling with the problems of the church furnace or make church coffee be of use. But Larry just kept on repenting and repenting. This change of heart, this disposition against what displeases God, but this change of heart, not my life is not just one of repentance, but he's done something in me. I can be different. I can live a life that pleases him. Not just turning and avoiding, but, but he can do something in me where I can live his life. Yes, we still sin. First John's right. If we say we're not sinners, we're a liar. I sin, but... But because of his Holy Spirit, because of his re, the remaking of his image in me, I don't have to be the same again. And that's good news. And it comes to the second part of Jesus' sermon. Will you believe that? Will you repent and believe this gospel or believe what is the good news? Mark 5, 36, only believe. Mark 9, 23, believe in his power. Mark 11, Mark 11, 23 through 24, believe in prayer to him. Mark 13, 21, don't believe the false Christ. Mark 16, 18, these signs are for those who would believe. I want to be like that father of a healed child in Mark 9. If I don't believe, you, you help thou my unbelief. Help me to believe what you're saying I can have and what I can I can be. We bump into this passage, verse, the first verses about John the Baptist again. We're confronted. Is he mightier? Or does my worry, worry life say something different? Does, does, does my fear say something different? Does my temptation say something different? Does my self-pity say something different? Or is he mightier? 
the Christ, the very Son of God. And then we hear this sermon, repent. How is it I need to have a mind for his kingdom versus this world? How is it, where are those places where you need to turn? Just flat out turn and repent. But also, what's the change that Christ is wanting you to do so your whole life is not just saying, I'm sorry. It's just constant life of continual repentance. But just help me be, work on the furnace. Help me make coffee. Could you give your life fruit of your very spirit to me. Jesus says, believe this good news. You can do that. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for this word from your son about who we are to be and who we can be. We thank you for the word that you spoke to your son. Help us to be careful to speak words that need to be heard and speak them in ways so that they will be heard. Father, if there's any place in our own lives where we are doubting the worthiness and might and power and authority of your Son, we give them to you this morning. We pray all these things for his glory and in his name.